Dumelang Avusheni and hello hi Mzanzi. Welcome back to Sisters Without Shame, a no holds barred podcast that is proudly brought to you by Healthform Zanzi. I'm your host Nolu Tando Ngakani and I'm here to hold your hand as you seek the answers to those pussy bumps and suspicious lumps you dare not speak of in public. Happy Women's Month, Mzanzi. Yo, but this year is moving fast. I don't know about you, but I am stressed about this summer body business. And I'm not alone. This week, we have a letter from Josie. And the letter reads as follows. About three years ago, I went to Gold Reef with my husband. I climbed onto a roller coaster and I couldn't close the seatbelt. I was embarrassed. I have never been so humiliated and I have never felt more terrible about myself than I did in that moment. As humiliating as it was, it has been a life-changing moment too. I have tried diets and they have not helped. I am now interested in getting a bariatric procedure, but I do not know much about it. Please help. Don't worry about it, babes. This week, our guest is Miriam Forgan. Miriam is a registered dietitian and life coach with a bachelor's degree in science and dietetics from the University of the Western Cape. She currently works alongside Dr. Jocelyn Helich in the therapeutic management and reversal of chronic diseases of lifestyle such as metabolic syndrome, obesity, insulin resistance, diabetes, high cholesterol and hypertension among others. Miriam, you know, when should you consider having drastic measures like weight loss surgery? Our criteria for bariatric surgery, it's a, it's a tool just like a weight loss drug is. Obviously, there's an order to follow. So if a person has got a BMI, which is your weight for height, above 40, and you know it's causing discomfort, you've tried every diet, you can lose weight, but you struggle to keep it off. Or even if you've got a BMI above 30 with chronic diseases of lifestyle, such as your diabetes, high blood pressure, cholesterol, and overall metabolic syndrome, which includes insulin resistance, Then if you've tried lifestyle intervention, if you've tried medicinal ways of losing weight and both have not been successful, then bariatric surgery is the third option because it's a surgical option to consider. It's your last option, but it's a very, very good tool. Is it quite prevalent in South Africa? Yes, very much so. In government, Tigerberg Hospital does their own. Also, Somerset has done a few Also in Pretoria, there's a bariatric division. And then obviously you have your private areas like your Kingsbury Life Hospital. It's very prevalent because obesity has increased over the years with the changes of environment, the changes of the food itself, the fast-paced lifestyle, the sedentary lifestyle mixed with the convenience types of food that is high fat, high in sugar. People are incredibly busy. You know, there's not just one person typically in the household working. Often there's two with the kids. So everything is fast paced, rushed. People don't put themselves on their priority list. And then they get stuck in a vicious cycle of feeling overwhelmed and making an effort, but they're not following through or finishing what they started because the results don't match the expectations. And then they go and emotionally eat, which is a form of self-sabotage or spite or punishment. And they get stuck 
And the longer you do something, it's a behavior, the longer it becomes ingrained in a habit. So often to break that cycle, one needs a tool just to assist you to make the better choices, to start a better routine, because ultimately you still have to do that. I guess all these methods also kind of create like a little launch pad for you to get started. But it makes me also think of this Duramine poll that's very popular in fat loss communities and things like that. Duramine, it's one tool, but you see, they're not all one sizes that fit all. If you suffer with anxiety, Duramine is almost the worst thing you could do because it will exacerbate that. So you'll lose weight, but you'll be more stressed than ever. You've got to look at the pros and the cons and what you value more and do what suits you, what you feel is going to be the best suitable tool for you. It's a very personal decision. That is true because everybody likes to dish out advice and that kind of thing, but it's a personal journey. Absolutely. How does weight loss surgery help you to lose weight? What are the mechanics basically of the surgery? So there's various types of weight loss surgery. I mean, there's different names for it because it's different sort of ways of making the stomach smaller. So one of the methods is a gastric sleeve where they remove 80% of the stomach and they remove it completely. So it almost looks like you have just one long sort of from your esophagus to the stomach to the small bowel. It just looks like one long small bowel, which then obviously assists with reducing your portions. The other surgery is, for example, the gastric bypass, which is the Roux-en-Y, where nothing's removed, but everything is manipulated from the stomach to the small bowel so that you bypass 80%, if not more, of the stomach and some of the small bowel. So all of it basically will assist you to reducing your portions, the amount of food that you take in. Because I know that weight gain is driven by an excess of energy that one isn't using. So food is just energy at the end of the day. So a lot of the types of foods we eat might be very high in energy and not filling. Like protein is very filling, but the carbohydrates that we eat is not. So it can lead us to over time stretch the stomach and then to try and eat less, but with a stretched stomach, you're always going to feel hungry. So it kind of, it helps to basically reset your stomach. Basically, you start to learn how to eat again so that you can create the lifestyle that you want for yourself in an easier way. It's not an easy journey, but it's just easier to eat smaller portions because you cannot eat large portions. It's physically impossible. Sounds like you also have to prepare yourself kind of psychologically for it. It's a mental journey more than anything. The physical takes care of itself, but mentally it's a hell of a journey because think about it in this way. Let me use myself as an example. So when I used to dish portions for myself growing up or when my mother dished portions or my grand, it would always be a large portion of food because, you know, you're a growing child. But often the amount would be too much for a child, but you would be made to finish what's on your plate because there's starving people in Ethiopia. So the belief comes from, you know, finish what's on your plate. So you don't tune into your true fullness. You exceed it. So when you have the surgery, it's like the mind and the stomach have to now become in alignment because you're literally not even eating off a side plate, you're eating off a saucer. And you can manage maybe three mouthfuls at a time. So the brain is going to say, yo, this is a little. The stomach is going to say, I'm full now. So it's going to be a mindfulness practice, which is a very good thing. 
Because we often dish with our eyes. We don't dish with our stomach. I was about to say we eat with our eyes. <laughs> exactly. And when it tastes good, it tastes like more, but you're full. So that's the cheap thrill we're giving ourselves. And we don't taste it for much longer after that. <laughs> what is the impact of weight loss surgery on sort of vitamin deficiency and stuff like that? What are the risks associated with the procedure? Like I said, there's quite a few types of procedures. With something like the gastric sleeve, where they remove 80% of the stomach, your stomach is responsible for most of where your iron is absorbed. So the risk of anemia is there. However, after the surgeries, often, not always, you are put onto a multivitamin for life. Your bloods are annually checked so that you are monitored for any vitamin or mineral deficiencies even more so with the roux and why, because there's more of a manipulation with the small bowel where most of your fat-soluble vitamins are absorbed. They check vitamin D, vitamin A, iron, your B vitamins at times, but your body ultimately does adapt over time. So we've got, for example, depending on one's height, anywhere between six to 10 meters of bowel. So that includes the colon, and when you have a bypass, it's only bypassing a small portion of the small bowel. So ultimately, the rest of the bowel then adapts as an absorption site. But it is monitored. And often people that haven't had children and have the operation are encouraged not to fall pregnant in the first two years, just because it is the most adaptive two years and making sure you are getting enough vitamins and minerals to support healthy fetal development should one fall pregnant because one becomes incredibly much more fertile after losing weight. So those things are definitely discussed in the consultations and reiterated after the surgery. But yeah, there are, of course, risks. Like with any surgery, there are risks, and the vitamin deficiencies is one of them. Miriam, can you tell us, is weight loss surgery a cop-out? To lose weight, is nutrition and exercise not more effective and feasible in the long term? So weight loss surgery is definitely not a cop-out. At the end of the day, you still have to make the right choices for you to get the result that you want and also to sustain the result that you want. Because studies do show that if no changes are made from your side and you just have the surgery, you can just stretch your stomach again and regain the weight. It's very, very possible. The stomach is like a balloon. Bariatric or weight loss surgery is a mental journey more so than a physical one. Like I said, it becomes a, a mindfulness practice, being in tune with your body's needs, because we can become very unconscious in this very busy life, especially when it comes to eating. Emotional eating tendencies, as well as stress eating tendencies, which is the same thing, they still need to be worked through because often that is what sabotages one's efforts. A person can know what to do, but the minute they are triggered by an emotional response, so something triggers an emotion, then it's an uncomfortable feeling that often one wants to comfort with, whether it's food, alcohol, drugs, a distraction in some different form, instead of looking at what is the feeling coming up and working through it. So that's where a big part of the mental and emotional journey is with bariatric surgery is food is no longer that crutch. It's no longer a comfort. You are faced with those emotions. You have to work through them. And God willing, you don't replace it with a different self-sabotaging crutch. 
speaking of crutches, I don't know, uh, uh, kind of diverting the conversation right now. But a trend that I've noticed on social media is this procedure where people get their jaws wired shut. And that's also a bit of an extreme one for me. I just wanted to get, what are your thoughts about? That's a common one. It actually is like an old thing. I haven't come across anyone that's done that, but that's really also an extreme. And often you can see the person's really, really desperate. And that person can ultimately only have fluids. So you can do that without wiring your jaw shut. It's just often that person wants someone to assist them with their self-control. And ultimately, you still are going to have to have that self-control when the wires come off. So for me, I wouldn't encourage that. Definitely not for me. That doesn't seem healthy. But just going back to your original question where shouldn't exercise and nutritional intervention be more important, it is still the most important thing. But often a person wants to lose a bit of weight so that they feel more lighter and energized and healthier to be able to exercise. Also, the weight loss or the feeling better in one's body, it acts as an incentive to do better. So it's like they just need that little kick start because often a person can be quite overweight to the point where exercising is incredibly uncomfortable. It's not easy. It can be painful. They can injure themselves. So it's just a tool to assist putting those things that you need to put into place easier. Life's challenging. So I'm all for anything that makes one's life easier. A last question that I had is, you know, food addiction similar to alcoholism and drug dependency? Absolutely. So if not worse, because if you think about it, you cannot not eat. There's no black or white. It's not like you're an alcoholic, so now you just need to stop drinking. You cannot stop eating. Food is there to sustain you. So it's a much harder addiction to overcome, in my opinion. But it can be done because if one recognizes the primary addiction, so Primary addictions are the emotional ones. And in fact, we all have a type of addiction to a different degree. The emotional addictions are the first thing. So any emotions that come up that are triggered often, you're going to think, why would one be addicted to an emotion? But then why does one keep feeling a certain way? There's often a payoff or it's familiar. So say, for example, I haven't dealt with guilt or shame that you brought up in the beginning. In my childhood, there was a memory that triggered an emotion or it was an emotional charged memory that brought up guilt and shame. Now, if I didn't work through that, that memory sits in the subconscious mind and just gets triggered by different things. And then I think, oh, no, but you made me feel guilty. No, you're always sitting with that guilt and something was just triggering it. Now, when the familiar feeling comes up, often we want to distract that feeling because it's uncomfortable. So food doesn't harm anyone else but ourselves. Then the secondary addictions are your alcohol, drugs, food, pornography, gambling. It can even be exercise. It can be shopping. It can even be talking too much. So the primary addictions are the emotional one. And the secondary addictions are the behavior that comes after the trigger. So the most important thing is to basically acknowledge the food addiction and to address the emotional state, because then it becomes a habit, basically, at the end of the day, the more you feed something. So say I don't deal with the guilt and I constantly bury it with food or alcohol or whatever else, 
it never goes away. It actually just gets bigger to the point where it controls you rather than you control it. The best way to deal with an emotional addiction is just to let the feeling come up, give it a name. Okay, what's happening? I don't feel like comfortable. What's coming up? Oh, rejection's coming up. Let me just see now. Where was the first time I ever felt rejected? Ah, by my dad. Okay, oh, but that's in the past. We've worked through that. It's just an old familiar feeling and you'll find that it passes. But the minute you resist it and you fight it, it gets bigger. And then often that drives an anxiety. And then we use food as a crutch. Everybody's relationship with food is different if you think about it. Not only the emotional triggers of pain and struggle, but also the emotional triggers of reward, celebration, community. Also, like, for example, a lot of people, their love language is feeding. They will maybe confuse self-love with feeding themselves because it's something familiar. When I went with my son, when he was going for his vaccines as a, a baby, the nurse even said, okay, I'm going to give the injection now, get the bottle ready. And I looked at her and I said, but now why would I do that? And she said, so that will comfort him after the pain. And I said, but then he's always going to associate food to comfort pain. And she looked at me and she was like, I never thought of that. And I said, yeah, that is the truth. And it starts from there. Things that we wouldn't even think of twice. Come, you must finish your food now. Then I'm going to give you the sweetie. Come finish your homework. Then you can have that piece of cake. So then it's a reward. So the relationship with food is a much more intricate and complex than it is with your drugs, alcohol, etc. Often those are more patterns and habits that have been learned. So you'll find there's drugs or alcohol in the family. There's also food addictions in the family, but it can be more intricate. I always say to people, you know what, if you heal the relationship with yourself, you'll heal the relationship with food. Whatever you value, you're going to prioritize. So say you're on a journey for your health. You want to change a few things, get healthier. You're now diabetic. You want to reverse it, etc. You can only put the effort into yourself that you feel you deserve. So by working through the relationship with yourself, do you feel worthy of love? Do you feel worthy of respect? Do you feel worthy of your time, your energy? If the answer is yes, you're going to heal that relationship with food very easily. If the answer is you think it's yes, but it's actually no, then it's always going to be a struggle. So ultimately, like you said, it's a personal journey, one really that is with yourself that translates into the food. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Sisters Without Shame, Miriam. For more on the good and bad of bariatric procedures, check out healthformzanzi.co.za. Now remember, if you are in a medical bind and looking for a shoulder to cry on, you can send an email to hello at healthformzanzi.co.za. You can also send us a WhatsApp on 076-132-0454. I would never blue tick you, baby. I'm not going to lie, guys, but Miriam really educated and humbled me. Weight loss procedures are bigger than just a nip and a tuck here. Health journeys are personal experiences, and it's all about mindset. That brings us to the end of episode 54 of Sisters Without Shame, proudly brought to you by Healthform Zanzi. From me, Lulu Ngakani, have a great week. And remember to show your girl some love by sharing this podcast with a friend. 